Hello and welcome to season three of Who You Don't See, the podcast celebrating the people behind the stars. From choreographers and songwriters to makeup artists and hairstylists. If they're part of a celebrities team, we are all about getting to know them. I'm your host, Megan Lawton, and this season we're taking you back to the 90s and noughties. A time of low-rise jeans, bodycon dresses and huge eyeliner. I am so, so excited to introduce this week's guest, Naomi Parry, Amy Winehouse's stylist. We were always up against it. There was no, you know, I'd just basically be following her around with an outfit. Just like, Amy, please just look at this. Please decide, like, you know, um, right until the, the last second, which actually meant sometimes we'd put something on and as we were walking to stage, she'd decide that it wasn't the right length. And there was one time in particular, and it's this gold, it was like a gold um, D&G dress. She wanted to wear that dress, but it, what she wanted it to be shorter, but it needed to be shorter like then and there. So I had to hack the bottom of this dress off. And she went on stage with an unhemmed dress. Naomi was in her late teens when Amy asked her if she'd be her stylist. That was 2006, the year Amy released Back to Black. The next six years were a whirlwind of world tours, festivals and music videos. Naomi was there for the good times and the times of turmoil too. In the pod, we chat about the outfits that Naomi designed for Amy and tragically never got to wear. We also speak about Amy's style, a style that in many ways still influences what we wear now, as well as talking about all the mad backstage moments that often meant Amy was late to stage. Enjoy. So Naomi, thank you so, so much for doing this. Um, thank you for having me. It's a shame that we are not, we're only doing audio because you look immaculate in that bright red, big puffy sleeves shirt you're wearing. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I, I thought it'd make an effort. Love that. Well, you are a stylist and that's why we're chatting to you now. I know you are not so much a stylist. What would you say you're doing now? What would you say your job title is? Oh, um, I mean, I sort of under the umbrella of creative director, but I'm working in, I'm doing some stuff in TV at the moment. I'm doing some fashion consultancy. So it's sort of a mixed bag of things. It's really hard to, I get asked all the time what I do and I just, I don't know, really know what to say. I'm just like creative projects. It's that classic 2022 job title. Have you heard of the multi-hyphen method where you're like, I am this and a bit of that, hyphen that, hyphen that. Like, get you a girl who can do yeah. it all. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That is, that's it. But yeah, not a stylist. But if we take it back to 2006, you were a stylist. You were Amy Winehouse's stylist. How, before even working with Amy, how did you get into the world of styling? Was she the first sort of client you had? So I was, when I was studying, um, I needed, I, a friend of mine's mum was a stylist and she just asked if I'd be interested in assisting her. And I can't even remember how it came about. She, it was paid, which was unusual. You must have been fashionable at the time. You wouldn't ask an unfashionable person to be a stylist. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but I, she, she asked me to work with her. So I started assisting her and then, um, I had another stylist that I was assisting as well um, and I'd wanted to be a fashion designer I'd wanted to go into design but my tutor at the time had said you'd be better suited as a stylist but um, it wasn't really what I wanted to do 
But then, you know, I was getting paid and I started doing bits and pieces in Camden. Uh, when I was friends, I'd already met Amy at this point. She was a friend of mine. Um, and then Amy just asked me completely out of the blue. I'd never, ever in a million years, we didn't even talk about work. You know, she was my friend. We kept it very separate. Um, and she just asked me out of the blue to, to work with her. So, yeah, I mean, she was my first major client and I am so aware of how lucky I was in you know as right place right time kind of thing um and I I sort of I think that that you know I know that social media has changed the landscape quite a bit it's easier to get your work out there and to showcase your style and everything but I still think it's it's very much about you know right place right time for a lot of people that get land that first client it's you know if you're going to go into that sort of world of styling musician celebrity um it's a good place to you know if you get that first client then you're kind of off really and you started working with her 2006 that's the year she released back to black so by this point she's making her footprint on the sort of pop culture scene like she's really really climbing that ladder what was her look at the time and why did she why do you think she wanted a stylist so she she'd had a stylist before um and I think um and this you know there was no slight on the stylist at all because she was fantastic but um I think the record label or well Amy's style at the time it was before I came on board she was and it was really you know for her previous album Frank um Amy was still in this sort of you know Jane Norman dresses and like little handbags and just hadn't really found her look and then when she moved to Camden um she sort of was very inspired by everybody in Camden and I mean I don't know whether you know Camden that well but it's just sort of a melting pot for um lots of different sort of subcultures and she took a lot of um you know inspiration from them and her look started to develop um but she was still very much shopping and uh, buying things from Rocket Vintage and and you know and like the occasional Fred Perry shirt and whatever and she wasn't she wasn't like a big shopper I mean you know she'd buy things but I think what when Back to Black came out and suddenly everything was elevated um, and she she no longer wanted this sort of vintage look anymore she she I think she wanted to, you know, elevate her style and she needed somebody, you know, everybody kind of, although lots of people say, you know, we don't need a stylist. I, I think when you get to that level, um, you know, you may not need somebody to tell you how to dress, but to have a stylist that can kind of go out and be your eyes and discover these new brands when you don't have time to do that because you're focusing on your music or whatever else it is that you're doing. Um, I think that's just what she wanted. She just wanted somebody to kind of help her. She was very much the architect of her look. You know, I didn't ever force her into anything. I'd sort of encouraged her into things and introduced her to new brands. But um, yeah, I think she just wanted somebody that she trusted um, that could go out and just get her things and and introduce her to those new brands and kind of just elevate her look slightly. So, so when she, you know, I don't know where you are in the pub, in the cafe, wherever she asked you, did you instantly think, God, I've got so many ideas. If your mates already, like I look at my girls and I see things and I'm shopping, I'm like, oh my God, Sarah would look great in that. Or whatever. you think things already in your head, 
what did you where did your mind go when Amy was like I want you to be my stylist so um I was already on a shoot I was on a I was assisting on a shoot when I got the phone call from my ex-boyfriend at the time saying that Amy had asked him to ask me um, <laughs> so that was kind of bizarre but um oddly I didn't I didn't because I didn't I'd seen Amy play perform once and it was at the old blue last and she was very casual I mean we were already on a night out at that point so she was in like jeans ballet pumps Fred Perry top like the classic Amy Winehouse outfit yeah exactly not stage wear so I had no idea what she wore on stage and so yeah I, you know I obviously thought about what she would look great in but it was I had to understand what the parameters were um and then it was just a case of kind of um you know I was taught her friend Tyler actually he was like look she likes to wear little dresses on stage so I wasn't given a brief I was just like yeah can you be my stylist off you go here's here's <laughs> our first job it was like t4 or something and then, it's like an apprentice yeah. challenge <laughs> yeah exactly so um and then it was just uh you know a lot of it I wasn't given a budget and you're a lot of it is dictated actually by um what's in the fashion you know what the fashion houses are doing at that point in time and what they've got in the press office you know it's obviously like um a season in advance so um so yeah I it was more about seeing what they had and then kind of putting that together but no I didn't really have any real ideas about how I wanted her to look at first I think I just understood that her album because a lot of people sort of pigeonhole her in this like 60s girl group kind of style. And actually her album was really contemporary. And I felt that her look needed to replicate that. It had um, influences of, you know, all these other eras um, and then influences from all these other um, styles, genres of music. But then there was a real contemporary feel to to the to the album you know it was a new way of kind of putting it all together and I felt like her look should kind of emulate that so I was kind of looking at more um yeah con contemporary looking brands do you remember the first outfit you put her in it was really simple it was like a pair of uh cropped jeans that she rolled like skinny fit cropped jeans that she actually rolled even shorter so they were almost like capri pants and um a white just a white shirt and some really like platform purple shoes and this was for a performance on t4 um and then the second outfit i think was a just a completely different i put her in a julian mcdonald's um like flapper style dress and it was for the hootenanny show jules holland hootenanny show which was a bit of a it wasn't a disaster oh, but that's when i discovered that amy didn't she was very specific about her underwear Wow. And she wasn't, yeah, she liked to wear like frilly French knickers and always wanted to wear a bra, always wanted to have chicken fillets in them. Um, and that did wasn't really conducive with a sheer skin type, <laughs> sort of like flapper dress that, um, you know, it just sort of bunched up over everything and it was falling down and I was trying to tape it and I was trying to pin it and she was like wriggling around on stage and pulling it around and I was just like oh my god okay this is probably the last job that I'm going to do with her <laughs> I'm probably going to get sacked that's a but, bad um, day at work 
Yeah, but it was fine. And actually what was good about it is it was completely different to what anybody put her in before. And so I think that was the point they could see the potential. Um, and we were just really finding our feet at that point. And also, um, you know, when we first started working together, it was really difficult to get brands to loan to her because she was a relatively new artist and yeah, people knew her as a style. Um, and it's like just getting that first brand to loan, that first big designer to loan, then everybody kind of, you know, the, more people, more people, more brands are open to loaning when they feel like they're aligned with other great brands. So I got so many questions already from that story. One, as a stylist, is it your responsibility to source the frilly knickers or would Amy have brought them herself and said, this is what I'm wearing today? So at first, before I started shopping for her, she would... I would bring underwear. It's the stylist's job to make sure that you've got everything that works for that outfit. So if it's a sheer dress, you want skin colored pants um, that, you know, seamless or whatever. Um, and, a you know, a strapless bra or tape or whatever. But Amy was insistent that she wanted to wear the underwear that she'd arrived in, which was like, you know, probably a provocateur with frills. And she wanted to wear a bra sometimes two bras wow. and yeah and it was just you know you had a you had a bit she had a bit of flexibility but when she was adamant about wanting to wear something she would wear it and there was not a lot you could do about it you just had to kind of work around it so yes yeah, so I would bring underwear but she would wear her own and then insist on that <laughs> and then second question and that's fascinating the double bra all about the support love that <laughs> if you're dancing around on stage you need the support second question when it comes to getting designers to give you're essentially like cold calling at these designer houses being like trust me I have an artist who's an up-and-coming star here please trust us with some of your garments how does that interaction work it can be well you can be met with a lot of ignored emails actually you just won't even get a response or you'll get a um you know a, a polite decline or a reason it's usually like oh we haven't actually got anything in the office which generally means we don't want to loan to you but we're not gonna we're not gonna say that because we don't want to be rude but yeah. maybe your artist isn't in i mean they tend to have like lists of target you know uh, artists and celebrities and they only have like a you know a small list of people that they want to target and so it's totally understandable but you just kind of have to um you know slowly build that up and build up a relationship with um you know PR companies that tend to look after lots of different brands so there'd be a PR company that has got say 10 brands and they there's two of those brands they'll loan to you but the others they they won't because they're not that person isn't on their sort of list um so yeah it was kind of tricky to navigate at first but obviously when she uh after the Brits in 2007 when you know she won a couple of awards and and I think sort of became a British household name it became a lot easier and we actually started to get labels just sending us stuff just, you know, I'd arrive at Amy's house and it would all go through the management company instead of coming via me, which was kind of crazy at the time. But I'd arrive at her house and there'd just be bags and bags of like Givenchy and, you know, all these other brands. Um, but they were kind of things that perhaps Amy, because it wasn't, it hadn't gone through me and it hadn't gone through Amy directly. They were just sending her gifts, which was really lovely. But Amy was so particular about things. She wasn't the sort of person that would just just wear something because it was a designer label. She didn't really care about that so much. Um, you know, more often than not, it wouldn't get worn, but it was a lovely gesture, you know. 
how so how does then the process of deciding an outfit come about if she seems like from what you're saying she's quite particular understandably about what she's wearing say if you've got an event coming up like the brits where do those conversations start is it your responsibility as stylist to be like here's five options or will she say you know what i really fancy wearing i want cleavage i want a bright color dress like you go find it naomi we rarely had those discussions i mean generally you are you should have a couple of fittings prior to and particularly something like the brits you know you want you want a good few sessions because you want to nail down the outfit and then it might need alter, um, alterations and then you need to see that person again <laughs> to make sure those alterations are correct and that they're happy with everything and then you know you might even have a fitting for accessories or whatever but amy wasn't a big fan of the fittings so we occasionally had one we did have one for the brits um the 2007 brits but not for 2008 it was all <laughs> so it did mean that i would have to get um because you never know because i mean you know how it is when you you might wake up and feel differently yeah. to one day and just be like you know what i don't really fancy wearing that and so, your body feels different yeah. some days and you're like i've got a bloated belly i just don't i don't want to show my arms like things change <laughs> wear all black today um so I'd always have to come with a loads of options particularly if we haven't if we haven't been able to do um a fitting which I think possibly in the whole five years that I worked with Amy we did maybe three fittings wow. <laughs> yeah it was just crazy it was quite difficult to work like that but you know I just accepted that that's how it was um but it did mean that I'd have to pull in loads and loads of stuff um so we'd have a rail and i'd have yeah roughly about five outfits i'd then have some like backup options but they were like i think it's unlikely she's going to want to wear those but i'd usually have one outfit that i thought she's going to love that and 99 percent of the time she would that would be the one that she'd wear and she'd be happy with it um but we were always when we were getting dressed for something we were always up against it there was no you know, I'd just basically be following her around with an outfit, just like, Amy, please just look at this, please decide, like, you know, um, right until the, the last second, which actually meant sometimes we'd put something on. And as we were walking to stage, she decided that it wasn't the right length, or, you know, something wasn't right about it. And there was one time in particular, and it's this gold, it was like a gold um, D&G dress like a-line dress and she decided just before she was going on stage but we were already probably about half an hour late on stage which was fairly typical that she it was it was too long and she wanted it shorter and I had to hack the bottom of this dress off to because she didn't she wouldn't she didn't want to get anything else she wanted to wear that dress but it what she wanted it to be shorter but it needed to be shorter like then and there so I had to hack the bottom of this dress off and she went on stage with an unhemmed dress and I, I meant to get it hemmed afterwards, but you know, I knew she'd never wear it again, but um, I never did. And it actually went into an exhibition a couple of years ago at the Grammy Museum and it was just there and it all frayed. And I think this is where this, this sort of her sort of anti-style ap approach to style comes from because, and it, you know, a bit kind of like punk really, yeah. where everything's sort of, you can you can see the inner workings of of a dress or of an outfit the the safety pins the frayed edges you know everything's kind of like a bit raw 
I was going to say, like, she's almost quite disruptive as a woman on a red carpet. Like, the idea, you think, is you have to look sort of immaculate, almost dull, like your makeup is flawless, your outfit is flawless from every angle. It seems that she wasn't that. That must have been a wild ride for you just to be like, okay, so we're really, like, we're not prepping bags ahead of time. This is very, like, ad hoc of the moment. But ultimately, like, that, if any, going back to what you were saying earlier about capturing who she was on her album with her outfits, that is essentially her? Yeah, but for me, as a sort of young budding stylist, I was very aware that people probably thought that I was rubbish or <laughs> they thought that she didn't have a stylist, you know, and it's like, no, no, I'm here. That's my work. <laughs> Did it feel like sabotage when you were chopping the Dolce & Gabbana dress? Like, <laughs> totally, totally. There was this, we had this, uh, we went to Copenhagen on the first tour and um we were we did a bit of shopping together which was a real rare thing I would have loved to have gone shopping with Amy but you know it was just only occasionally we do it but she found this Jeremy Scott jumpsuit um like catsuit even sorry it wasn't a jumpsuit it was a catsuit um and it had this fabulous print it was very Amy but it was and she she put it on and she was like jumping around the tour bus in it like a little monkey it was really funny and then the following day because we would we were traveling you know straight to venues um overnight and we'd arrive there and then we were playing a show you know the touring is really intense and she woke up in the morning and was like nay I want to wear this um on stage but can you turn it into a dress and I had (laughs) like a couple of hours to turn a catsuit into a mini dress and I had to hand stitch it and it was just like you know it was so raw but as I was doing I'm like hacking this thing up that that this designer has created to be a certain way and I was just thinking like god this is I wonder what they'd think of this that's sacrilege (laughs) yeah and then again that was also exhibited and when it was exhibited because she then wore it subsequently as a top tucked into jeans so she cut it even shorter so you know it no longer had a hem and there were like safety pins holding it together and you could see the bits of my stitching that were all coming apart and it was just like yeah this is not me at my best everybody I can do better (laughs) yeah totally totally I just didn't really have the tools to do better but um well when you're on a bus in Copenhagen I guess what you get is what you're given (laughs) exactly it's an understatement to say that Amy was like the moment of the time and she completely kind of shifted how people dress. She made vintage clothing fashionable. She brought in the beehive, the big eyeliner. As a young stylist who was just kind of like going along with the ride, did you ever get the chance to zoom out and think, God, like we're sort of setting the tone culturally here? Or was it so just like you didn't have headspace to even think like that? I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think like that at all. I was, I mean, I was immensely proud of how you know, at first, I think people were very, and I, I think even actually now people are very torn with Amy's style. But, you know, I don't, at first people were like, oh, this is weird and new, but I don't know whether I like it. And then as more people started, you know, more designers started getting inspired by her look. And I really noticed that. And I, you know, I was, I was really proud of it. And I, I knew that we were doing something amazing. But I also, you know, it wasn't, it was her music as well they went hand in hand together you know one without the other it wouldn't have been as impactful I don't think so you know and I was totally aware of that if her music had been rubbish you know people wouldn't have been as excited by her style it was just like the whole package really um so yeah and I you know I never took credit for that I never felt like it was my place to take 
credit for that but I did I did you know on reflection I do feel our work together collaboratively you know it was really good it was and I'm I'm pleased I'm proud of it um and I'm proud of her for not adhering to the the norm of perfection and and um you know everything in place and and whatever um I thought it was really inspiring actually and wearing the same thing twice you know yeah that shouldn't be disruptive and yet it is disruptive yeah yeah I mean I I think she had this dress um there was this brand called Arrogant Cat that she just it was such a wonderfully trashy little label which was you know (laughs) bit wonderfully trashy so it was perfect and we got this dress for the tears dry on their own video um and she just loved it and I don't know what it was about this dress because it used to really frustrate me because it would ride up and bunch over her belt but she absolutely loved it I think she just she felt really good and it was really comfortable and she ended up wearing it on two other occasions um I mean to the point where this dress was like you know, I mean, I know there's only three times, but she'd wear it and then she'd wear it for the rest of the evening and whatever. And it was just like, yeah, you probably can't get away with wearing it for a fourth time. But uh, it was, I thought it, you know, looking back on it again, it's great that she did that, that, you know, you don't have to have a different outfit all the time. It's not, you know, if you love something, wear it more than once, you know, yeah. especially with all this sort of throwaway fashion kind of thing. And it makes your life easier as a stylist, less outfits for you to buy if she likes the ones in her wardrobe. Yeah. I mean, it did mean that I, I well, yeah, it was it, it was a bit of a waste of the prep time, but but fine, whatever. The most important thing is that, you know, you go on stage and you feel great and you feel comfortable. And I totally recognise that. Would you have to be during a performance side of stage in case an outfit bunched up or something tweaking mid-performance, all of that stuff? Because she was a mover and groover on stage. Like she was not a standstill kind of performer. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I was right at the edge of the stage with a backup outfit just in case, always with a pair of ballet slippers because she'd wear super high heels to kind of totter on and then she'd do a little bit of shimmying and usually by the third song she's like right I'm gonna get into my ballet flats and she'd come off stage and then hand them to her and off she'd go but yeah always there with you know tip tape safety pins I had tons of safety pins sort of I mean pinned to me ready to go um you know you're just styling kit and and but ballet pumps always at side of stage and I'd always make sure they were there before we even went on stage so I knew that they were there and knew exactly where they were I love that like the Amy Winehouse checklist spare outfit ballet pumps (laughs) eyeliner eyeliner (laughs) did she have a makeup artist or did she did she do that herself she she did it depended on what she was doing so yeah I mean she at first when I first started working with her she had her glam squad which she called the trashettes we were called the trashettes and it was um me um Talia who was her makeup artist and Tracy who was her hairstylist and um you know we'd all be there side of stage at, at everything and then I think as um with touring it was just she generally did her makeup herself um and her hair um actually she did have a hairstylist for a bit on tour but you know by the end it was it was just me and her she had a PA by that point and it was just her PA prepping her hair and me and obviously I didn't do makeup or anything I was very she didn't really like having her face touched at that point so but yeah for you know major events um Brits Grammys she had the the full works and on a day you mentioned sort of big events like that 
was there set the scene of like how the stress levels were backstage was it stressful or did she kind of just like let that all glaze over maybe you as a stylist was like I'm finding this stressful and Amy was like no it's just another day at work oh yeah no I, I mean it was chaos I was really stressed and obviously you know the tour management or management they don't they don't want to be sort of shouting at the artist to hurry up so they shout at us the, oh, it's no. our the trash <laughs> yeah she's taking forever to get ready because she's off like chatting to her band and asking her band how their family all are one by one and you know it's like a 10 strong band <laughs> it's after she's not ready but um yeah so it yeah it was stressful particularly if she'd sort of turned up a bit late or she wasn't really in the mood um it could be really difficult you know she was she was a little bit volatile. I mean, she was really volatile. It's, you know, an understatement. Um, and so depending on she, you know, however she was feeling, that would affect everybody. So if she was in a mood, it was like, oh, God, treading on eggshells a little bit. And then if you're late as well, and then you've got the tour manager telling you she needs to hurry up, you know, she's got 15 minutes and she hasn't even got her makeup on. It's just, you know, it is, it's stressful. It's really difficult. I think the... Um, the Brits, not the Brits, sorry, the uh, Glastonbury in 2008, I think when Jay-Z, yeah, when Jay-Z headlined, um, we were backstage and Amy was just running around chatting to everybody and she was chatting to Jay-Z and Beyonce, which was totally surreal. And then she's off having a chat with Jack White and I'm like there, literally with her dress, like sort of following her, like sort of pointing at the dress wide-eyed like you know I really need to get you in this like we've we you're going on stage in a minute you can't be late for this because it's going to mess up you know the everybody else's performances because it'll the whole thing will get delayed um and yeah and you're panicking but she is you know she was like totally chilled like about the whole thing and just you know she could get ready so quickly um so as soon as you you know you managed to grab her attention she could be ready in like 20 minutes I mean, that's helpful, <laughs> but it always seems like the, it's like a last minute thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, always. Everything, everything was last minute. I mean, me even being asked to do a job always felt very last minute. They'd be like, she's doing this tomorrow. Can you do it? And I'm just like, I don't have these clothes just just in my house. I have, I need to prep for this. It's not like a makeup artist where they have a, you know, all of their, their kit is on them at all times. I have to go and source these things or you know, buy something or whatever. Actually, you know what? That Glastonbury, I bought that dress on the way down to Glastonbury. Did you? On the way there. It was Luella. It was like a heavily beaded dress. We had to sew her into it. But I I paid for it and I picked it up on my way to Glastonbury because it was like, they just suddenly decided she needs her stylist today. We want her to look fabulous. Wow. You know, she's not, not to her own devices because she'll end up in jeans and a Fred Perry top. Incredible. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but, yeah. but Glastonbury, I think you can up it a bit for Glastonbury. You mentioned there that she was quite a volatile character. I think people sense that from sort of everything we've learned about her over the years. We sort of touched on it earlier, but so much about what you wear is based upon your mood. Like if you don't feel great, you just want to wear a big baggy jumper. To have been styling someone for glamorous occasions when at times they weren't in that headspace, that must have been quite difficult. Yeah. I mean, Amy and I got on so well. I think in our entire friendship, even, and, you know, working, we only had one argument 
and it was so stupid and it was over in about 15 minutes and we both laughed it off but like she we both had a real mutual respect for each other and she knew that I had to do my job and she wanted even if she was being really difficult she always you know she respected the fact that people were trying to get a job done and they were all there to help her so she could be really moody she could be really miserable um but she would even in those moments she would try and make your life as easy as possible um but yeah it was it was difficult um but you know she was never like a real diva or anything like that she just like we all get fed up and annoyed and you know could be something going on outside that she'd be angry about and it's just it's hard she she wore her emotions on her sleeve so you know and everybody cared deeply for her so it was you know it did affect everybody but you should always put this thing on and get on stage eventually and it'd be fine and it'd be like oh god thank god (laughs) a sigh of relief and a gin and tonic And in the times where in the public eye she was documented to be struggling, did you notice that designers would stop offering their clothes for her to wear? Does that? Yeah, totally. That's when you started getting the emails again saying everything's, we don't have anything in the office at the moment or people would ignore you. And I totally got it. You know, I, you know, they, a PR, they, they don't they're looking after the brand and they've got a, they don't want it necessarily associated with somebody that's, that's really struggling as, you know, as fickle as it might seem. I just, I totally get it. So there were just a couple of brands that really stood by her through that. So like, you know, Dolce Gabbana were one of them. Um, So yeah, it did. It became increasingly more difficult to pull things in and, and, you know, loan stuff. Um, But at that point in time, I was like, let's just make our own stuff, you know, let's just do it ourselves. Obviously, I never told her that, and you, you know, you don't tell an artist, this brand doesn't want to loan to you anymore because of your life choices, because nobody wants to hear that, especially when they're struggling. So I was just like, let's do our own brand. Let's, let's do our own thing. Um, which is when I had the idea for the Fred Perry collaboration and I actually spoke because I worked really closely with them and and that's how that kind of came about because I just thought she goes and does something and it's always be good for her to have another creative outlet but if she does something like that it will give her like a you know a step on the ladder of the fashion industry and then maybe we can build something from that which is then subsequently where the dresses the tour dresses all came from that we you know did ourselves so um, yeah, but it did. It became really difficult. And it's it's really disheartening and it's really embarrassing when you, you know, you contact a, a PR company or a brand and they're just like, yeah, we don't we don't want to loan to you anymore. And it's just you feel sad. I felt sad for Amy and I felt, you know, it's just because it was just so reflective of how, you know, how much she was struggling, really. Tragically, I know you designed a whole load of outfits for a tour that she never even got to go on. She never got to wear those outfits. One as a stylist, but also your mates. Like that must to have those kind of clothes still exist and Amy not exist, and because of the like horrible circumstance of everything, that must be really, really tough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those dresses represent. You know, I have such a mixed feelings towards them because they they were we we talked about them in Brazil and the Brazilian tour was good it wasn't fantastic but it was good she was it was really promising so it was kind of like everybody just felt oh good she's going to pull through 
Um, and so they, you know, they represented this like new beginning and this, you know, we're going to step it up a bit. We're going to start designing more stuff. But again, I had zero time to get those dresses together to, I think we had about eight weeks or something. And again, no fittings. I think we had one fitting and that was it. It was just crazy. But um, so, you know, I had to take them all on, on this tour and she, but she absolutely loved them. And she was so excited. That first dress that she wore, the bamboo dress, even though that was the worst show I've ever seen in my entire life. And it was it was harrowing to watch. She loved the dress and I was trying to get her out of it afterwards. And she just insisted on wearing it to the hotel. She was like jumping around the plane on it. It was like, you know, she loved them. Um, and I think she felt quite you know, proud and excited by the fact that she was wearing things that no one else in the world had. There's no other dresses like this in existence. And designed by her mate as well. You've got that extra kind of attachment. You know, we'd done this thing and we'd done it together and they were like so, you know, they're all of the, each of them were inspired by her. They all have a story. They all meant something. Um, And then obviously when it all fell apart, they kind of represented like this sort of, you know, I knew after that, show I kind of I had I felt like this is this is it this is this is over you know like she this is really this is really 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 bad situation and she needs a long long time off um to get better you know so so yeah there is there's a lot of sadness around them but there's also I love them because they are just her there's just they are just her. There's like no one else has worn them. They're, you know, everything was really thought out. We had, I had like um, start, little styling things built into them. So because she wore these frilly knickers, we had like a slightly wider panel at the back. So the invisible zip didn't catch her. And because they were super tight, they didn't catch the knickers. They didn't catch her skin. We had like a built-in Spanx dress to kind of smooth out her silhouette. Like, you know, everything was, and they were they were kind of based on a dress that she'd worn in Brazil that she'd absolutely loved. So, you know, everything was really thought out from, you know, the fabric to the prints to just everything. And they were made to, you know, they were measured to fit her body. And she had very little hips and she'd had a boob job at that point so her body was you know quite you I mean everybody's body's unique but you know very unique and so they're just you know they are to me they are Amy they are as you know they're a little part of her so yeah you know I love them but obviously they're it's sad 10 years on or 11 years on is it can you now sort of look back at clothes and think about the fond memories like could you pick a favorite Amy outfit that just for you encapsulate encapsulates Amy and your memories together or her as a performer oh yeah totally um you know I the so it's both the Brit Awards um the yellow preen dress that she wore to the Brits which was I think was like my maybe my fourth or fifth job and just bearing in mind I was like 20 maybe even 19 no I was 20 when I did that so that's I mean bizarre to me that how young I was even though I thought I was really mature um but yeah so the yellow preen dress with the little red moschino bag was one of my favorite outfits of all time because it to me that felt like it was very different to what she'd worn before um it was this you know fantastic designer that she'd never worn before as well um you know really contemporary but still that silhouette that she loved and it felt I I know that she felt fantastic in it and I know that she felt like 
she really stood out and she was different. So, um, yeah, I feel like that was when she'd really solidified, this is me now, this is my back to black look and this is what I feel most comfortable in. And then the Brits in 2008, where I put the leopard print and the tartan, leopard print skirt, tartan um, corset top. I remember the outfit, yeah. Yeah, so that was, I mean, I was I was proud of that because we'd had no fitting and I'd had no discussion with her about it because she wasn't interested in talking about whatever. She just, you know, expected me to bring something and it would be all right. And she trusted, and that must mean she trusted you, right? Like if she, doesn't, if she doesn't need to be engaged with it, it's because she knows that you, you've got it all taken, all taken care yeah, of. Totally. And um, yeah, and both of us just sort of threw this outfit together and we were like, yes, this is brilliant. And we loved it. And um yeah, I think she felt really great in that as well. So yeah, I'd say they were my two favourite. That was Dolce Gabbana as well, that look. So yeah. Even, so this week I, there was a story in The Guardian about how like ballet pumps are coming back. ASOS this week released another Fred Perry, Amy Winehouse collaboration. Like, can you believe that kind of the work you did with her 11 years ago is still kind of like dominating, influencing fashion in 2022? It's... I, I mean, it's remarkable. I would never have imagined. I mean, particularly when I was working with her, you didn't. I wasn't thinking ahead. It was all about, you know, because it was just, you know, quite high pressured. I was just thinking about then and there. And I just, yeah, to think how much she has inspires people still and how how often she's referenced in fashion is it's amazing. And I'm so, you know, to think that the Fred Perry collaboration, which um, I actually, I work with them on that now, um, is still going. Yeah, I'm so proud of her. And I'm so, um, I know how proud she would be as well. So it's, you know, it's amazing to see. I, it, you know, I get really excited um, knowing that she's still, still so relevant. And I know that you, you co-curated an exhibition for her and her outfits was it 2020 as a way of kind of shifting so much of the dialogue since her death has been about sort of what a tragic downfall she had and like and all of this sort of stuff about drinking and depression but for you you wanted to reclaim that and be like but she was a star and she had so much going for her and I guess through her outfits and her style that's a way of capturing Amy still in like a positive legacy and celebrating that iconic person she was. Yeah absolutely well that was it I mean for me it was part of the grieving process I think but I just I was really tired of just reading the same stuff negative focusing on the downfalls and not actually celebrating how much she achieved even in the midst of such personal turmoil and it was you know it was unbelievable what she did and paving the way for so many other artists and I really wanted to celebrate that so I I just made it my mission to to do something that that's pure. I mean, you can't really talk about Amy without talking about her struggles. But so, you know, and it's important to talk about those. But it's also I didn't want that the emphasis to be on them. I wanted it to be like, you know, look at all these amazing outfits she wore. Look at her style. Look at this incredible music. Look what she did for music. Like, let's focus on that. Let's celebrate her now. Um, so, yeah, you know, the and you can the book and the exhibition and all exhibitions, sorry, there were three, um, you know, they were all really positive. And I think people really enjoyed them because of that, because it's sort of, you know, obviously it's sad, but it's still, 
it was very celebratory and I think it just allowed people that really loved her and really loved her music and loved her for her to to really get a bit closer to her and celebrate her which is so important and I think style gives you such a unique way into getting to know somebody it's the things you're the the way you're choosing to represent yourself to the world Naomi it's been so so interesting talking to you I've loved talking to you thank you so much we always end the podcast with a piece of wisdom or something you've picked up over the years within your career if you kind of look back I don't know, since you started working with Amy when you were sort of 18, 19, what have you learned? What's your one key, I don't know, keep your head above the water type piece of advice? I think try not to pay too much attention to what everyone else is doing and just you do you. Be be yourself. Be don't be afraid to be your unique self. Try not to try not to stick too closely to trends or follow trends too closely I think um and just you know you can Amy I think proved it that you can just dress exactly how you want to dress completely ignore what everything else that's going on and and be celebrated for it you know if you wear something with authenticity yeah it comes across and um people really you know value that I think Yeah, I agree. That's beautiful. Thank you so, so much. I absolutely love talking with you. Yeah, I've loved it too. It's been really fun. A big, big thanks to Naomi for chatting. If you want to keep up with her projects, you can head to her Insta, I am Naomi Parry. You can also read her book, Amy Beyond the Stage. If you're still listening, I want to say a big thanks to you too. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, maybe you could leave us a review, send this episode to a mate and subscribe to Who You Don't See on your usual podcast app. You can also pay us a visit next week when we'll be chatting to Sean Bankhead, a choreographer behind some of Beyonce and Missy Elliott's moves. We'll see you then. (laughs) 